May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. But it was not until early in the pandemic with a little mental exhaustion, taking care of patients in the hospital, just really being overtaxed by the strain of all that was happening. At that time, a job that was a poor fit for my needs and caused me a lot of sleep deprivation, caring for patients on call, et cetera, homeschooling a then three-year-old. Anyway, chaos, if you will. And that resulted in something called autistic burnout. And many late diagnosed or late identified autistic adults get their diagnosis in the context of autistic burnout. The people who come here are people whose needs were not met by the traditional healthcare system. So you have neurodivergent people whose needs were not met by the traditional healthcare system. That is going to be a self-selected group of people who are more likely to have all the things. And I think that what has also been really helpful about that is that we've gotten to learn a lot from the elevating the expertise of those with lived experience. This four-part conversation may be the most impactful and eye-opening interview that I have done to date. It was an opportunity to zoom out, allowing me and likely you to gain a different perspective of fibromyalgia. For many listening, it will likely be simply validation, but for others, it probably will be the first time you have ever considered much of what is going to be discussed. This, at a minimum, will lead to thoughtful contemplation, whether you are living with, loving, or providing care for someone with fibromyalgia and related problems. Here's the preamble conversation with Dr. Mel Hauser and myself before we got into the meat of the podcast. I bet. Yeah. I think about in my medical education experience, like whenever there was something would happen and I would like zoom out and say, Ooh, that doesn't feel quite right. Often when we think about patients with fibromyalgia and all of the related conditions, like all the judgment and shaming and like grossness that goes on in the healthcare system. I remember even as a medical student being like, no, it's like just seeing judgment, like shame and judgment from healthcare providers when you were in training, if you can remember back that far. I could definitely relate as those who were living with chronic pain and related conditions often were stigmatized and I didn't like that. I just didn't understand how to help those way back when I was in medical residency. I really am interested also in the data that you have, the yeah overlapping yeah. issues. It's one of these that you happen to walk in to this area and you start to see all of these interesting connections, but there's a lot of ignorance in this whole area. And I'm a pediatrician and an internist. I'm a lifestyle medicine doctor. I am editing yeah, a podcast for the missing neighbor. My mom, who's in heaven now, she always had a big heart for people who struggled. There'd be the lady who wouldn't come to the 4th of July get togethers because she didn't like going out of the house. 
that always stuck with me. I wonder why. So my mom always had a big heart. My dad had a big heart too, but just connecting and wondering and always wanted to know there's another side of the story. And that's where I'm falling into this whole world of chronic pain and fibromyalgia and related issues and interested to hear your story. The missing neighbor, if you're ever curious about connecting with him, he wrote the poems about his struggles with chronic fatigue syndrome, which I think is synonymous with fibromyalgia yes. and just all these synonyms for the same kind of problem. It's the missing neighbor. But I think there's a lot of overlap and interest. And I have said that I'm weird to, and I would imagine it'd be like, boy, you diagnose a lot of people with autism. Exactly. And and recognize a lot of people have fibromyalgia. It turns out a lot of people are autistic. Yeah. You treat a lot of adults who have ADHD. Yep. And you treat a lot of kids. And I end up as similar to you, but probably more from the fibromyalgia spectrum. And I know that I'm deficient in, and not from a lack of desire, but still, I'm going to learn something from you today. I've listened to your videos and interview podcasts, and I'm sure that a lot of people will be interested. This is all coming together from my own patient experience. And as a pediatrician and an internist, I get to walk both lines where things like autism are classically pediatric, but hey, gets into adulthood. What happens Yeah, what happens to those people when they turn 18? Yeah. And the same thing with ADHD. And then there's issues that overlapping fibromyalgia, classically that middle-aged woman thing. But really, how are we reframing understanding that? So I am an outlier because I've been taking care of adults and treating their ADHD for 18 years. So I end up taking care of multi-generational families. Once you connect, then they're like, and now I feel just if I had a, familial hypercholesterolemic patient or parent, I'm like, all right, you need to get your kid checked at age two. We're not going to wait. One of the parents has this. We are going to be more actively screening for these. Just how it's commonly accepted to screen for depression, and that's a quality measure. I have taken on to be screening for things like ADHD, at least in my mind, going through those. And I have had a passion for helping people who are on the spectrum. I have a couple of patients that are identical twins that now are into their 20s and both are differently affected. And I've gotten a chance to learn through them. And I'm interested in, for the listeners, one, getting a chance to understand your story because you may have been somewhat neutral. And when you're trying to go and become a doctor and pick what kind of doctor you want to be, you're taking a waterfall of information and decisions and trying to filter out the relative importance of all of these. Like you, I was just listening on the way home from my daughter's volleyball game and listened to one of the YouTube videos that you did and got some good insights. But there's so much information that you have to learn and understanding. And I have so many questions for you. Like one, just off the top of my head is, Only certain people in the pediatric world can diagnose autism. Yet, I've had patients where I'm like, they've been to the behavioral health. They said no. And I'm not to be judgmental, but I have a pretty good. Just name the thing. Great. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm being perceptive, but Uh I have pretty good rapport. And I get a sense there may be something different. And the mom's, oh, my gosh, I've been telling doctors this and nobody believes me. 
Uh-huh. And I'm like, so I still take care of her. And now I take care of her mom. I take care of siblings. So that's where I have this multi-generational practice. I have three generations sometimes where we're taking care of these kinds of issues, which is how you end up growing a practice, just like you probably. Right. So all of those, so can, much can to I, talk, so many can, questions. I'm excited before, to get a chance to talk to you. Me too. I would encourage you to look into whether the statement that you said about only certain people are allowed to diagnose autism. I would research whether, in fact, that is true or not where you live, where you practice. I graduated med school in 96, residency in 2000, and all of these fibromyalgia and awareness of the autism spectrum have been in development, I think, during my medical school to present time or in evolution. And so I always had a big heart. And these were the people, metaphorically, using biblical language like lepers, that were often outcasts. So you understand that these chronic issues are way underdiagnosed, as I'm realizing, way under-recognized. And I started to connect the dots and start to see these overlapping. Now, there's another layer that I'm really excited to learn more about from you is that spectrum, and then that there's an overlapping component. This has been a much longer introduction to the podcast series, but we are going to be talking about autism and the connection with fibromyalgia and related problems. As you will hear, Dr. Mel Hauser calls these all of the things. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you are one of those who has a neurodivergent mind and probably as an adult may have never even been diagnosed. But now as you start to hear what this is all about, make the connection. This is the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I have a diverse practice caring for children and adults with all of the classic primary care related issues, but also have developed a niche for fibromyalgia and related problems. The goal of this podcast is to inform, inspire, and equip those who are living with fibromyalgia, as well as their loved ones who don't know what it's like from their own lived experience to have these fibromyalgia-related issues, as well as for doctors and other healthcare professionals to help understand what it is like and help their patients live better. Remember that this podcast is for informational purposes only. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual doctor. And now on to this week's episode. All right, I'm excited to finally connect with Dr. Mel Hauser. She is a family practice doctor, and she has some real lived experiences working with those who are in the neurodivergent community, both as patients and within her own family and within her own self. So welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. So awesome. There's so much to talk about today. And what's interesting is that many people who have a neurodivergent style nervous system and mind also have some coexisting chronic pain, fibromyalgia-related issues. So that's 
one of the big connections that this podcast is about, but I think it's also just to grow and gain some greater insights. Before we dive into that, can you just tell us more about your background? Absolutely. I'm a family doc, and as you said, caring for neurodivergent patients across the lifespan. And 15 months ago, I founded a nonprofit organization called All Brains Belong, which is a community health organization in Vermont that provides neurodiversity affirming medical care, but also a wide range of community and education programs, all aimed at trying to make life better for neurodivergent people. Maybe what I also could say, just in case that term neurodivergent is new for folks, maybe I can just describe what I mean by that. So when I use that term, I'm referring to the one in five people whose brains work in ways that significantly depart from the ways that society has deemed typical. And since folks are listening, not watching, I'm using air quotes when I say typical, because I don't think there is a typical brain. Although society really does give people that message. So anyway, some neurodivergent people have specific diagnoses such as ADHD, autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, et cetera, but most do not have specific diagnoses. Anyway, I probably for the past six years or so working in the last chapter of traditional primary care, my practice has focused on supporting neurodivergent kids and adults, often multi-generational families. And what I saw is that those patients were not having their needs met both in healthcare and outside of healthcare. Kids getting bullied in school, struggling to have their access needs met. Adults struggling to access employment, struggling with social isolation, and really people of all ages getting not their needs met by the healthcare system. And I think so much of, of this also relates to the defaults of society. To become a patient, you must fill out the 20-page packet. To make an appointment, you must pick up the phone. In school, you must sit in the chair with your hands folded. It's like all these defaults, but there's not a default brain. And so there's just a lot of barriers to access and a lot of othering. And then when I became the parent of a multiply neurodivergent child who's six now, I, it, the urgency really set in that I needed to do my part to really shift the broader community conversation on neurodiversity and inclusion and to break free of the restrictions imposed by the traditional healthcare system. And the idea of zooming out, reimagining what health is, it's not just medical care in the office, like health is community. Health is making friends. Health is accessing your education. Health is accessing your employment. Health is showing up authentically as your true self. And for some people, feeling safe for the first time. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. Great. What about yourself in your own career? You ended up somewhat surprisingly, I bet to yourself I've, that you walked into finding out you had a neurodivergent brain, so to speak. Yeah. When it's interesting, like before I gave birth to Luna, here I am a family doctor, like taking care of baby, had expertise in child development. I thought I knew what I was doing. I did not know what I was doing, turns out. And uh, Luna made it really clear that I did not know what I was doing and that my medical knowledge was really lacking. 
To my knowledge at that time, I was not aware that I had taken care of an autistic infant before. I, of course, have many times, but didn't know it. And I really learned about the things, the practical day-to-day life that involve adapting the routines and environments for Luna to thrive. And that's really how I learned most of what I know about brains. And along the way, I learned that I have a lot in common with Luna, turns out. But it was not until early in the pandemic with low mental exhaustion, taking care of patients in the hospital, just really being overtaxed by the strain of all that was happening. At that time, a job that was a poor fit for my needs and caused me a lot of sleep deprivation, caring for patients on call, et cetera, homeschooling a then three-year-old. Anyway, chaos, if you will. And that resulted in something called autistic burnout and many late diagnosed or late identified autistic adults get their diagnosis in the context of autistic burnout, where that state of physical and mental exhaustion really coming from years of being severely overtaxed by strain. And so at age 37, I learned for the first time that I was ADHD. I learned that six months before the burnout got worse. And then I got my autism diagnosis. And great irony is that unfortunately, many adults or just many people, you know, of all ages don't get their, because their, the DSM criteria for autism are autistic stress behaviors. And the more disabled by the environment you are, the more stressed out you are, and the more likely you are to appear more stereotypical DSM criteria. So anyway, that's what happened to me. And that's how I got my diagnosis. And then later that year, I also learned that I'm dyslexic, dyspraxic, and dyscalculic. Like, yeah, that would have been really good information to have 37 years ago. All right. So you must have just lied on your MCAT, your med school application, because smart people can't get through med school. Myth. And so I think that's interesting. You know, I mentor many neurodivergent medical students, and it's just the ways in which the medical education system drives masking behaviors. And by masking, I'm referring to the often involuntary covering up of your true self. There's this narrative of fake it till you make it. It's so much imposter syndrome, but it's really so hard. And I look around and it looks like no one else. It's not, doesn't look hard for anybody else. Turns out it's hard for a lot of people. It's hard in a lot of similar ways to other people, but no one talks about that. For sure. Masking and the effort it takes to get through. And you had a lot of gifts and areas, obviously, to get through medical school and had a lot of drive. And it's a blessing that you got through because you are now helping people. You didn't know that you were going to be helping people in this way when you started your med school interview answer to the question, why do you want to be a doctor is I want to start a neurodivergent clinic in Vermont. If you would have seen the future, right. you would have been like, what's neurodivergent? And exactly. You're neuro- neurodivergent. Yeah, But I, I wouldn't have known that. And I think when we think about fibromyalgia and the overlapping medical conditions. So I think the other thing that that really surprised me, not even if we think back to back in the day, starting my medical training 20 years ago, it's even a year ago, I would have been surprised by this, which is that 70% of my practice has a pattern of multi-organ system neuroimmune conditions related to connective tissue, mast cell activation, hypermobility spectrum, fibromyalgia, dysautonomia. Anyway, you refer to this 
around all brings belong as all the things because mostly all the people here have all the things and amongst the neurodivergent adults 95 percent have all the things and when i knew that each of these conditions including fibromyalgia is more common in autistic people and adhd people but i guess the pattern was diluted in general primary care the people who come here are people whose needs were not met by the traditional healthcare system. So you have neurodivergent people whose needs were not met by the traditional healthcare system. That is going to be a self-selected group of people who are more likely to have all the things. And I think that what has also been really helpful about that is that we've gotten to learn a lot from the lived, elevating the expertise of those with lived experience. And so we've had a year ago, we formed a community task force of multidisciplinary clinicians and patients to really try to better understand not only what are best practices, but what are things that are harmful in the setting of all the things. Because, for example, when we have internal conflicting needs, for example, if I have POTS and I need compression for my POTS, but I also have extra stretchy blood vessels. Now my feet are purple, thanks. So I have to figure out, or if I need a stimulant for my ADHD, but I have hyperelastic stretchy blood vessels, and now I have more brain fog on this particular stimulant at this particular dose. Now I, because I'm vasoconstricting and I'm not getting blood flow to my brain in the way that I need it. I need the dopamine, but I also need blood flow. So it's it's this really interesting balance of internal conflicting access needs. Very interesting, very intricate, very multi-directional and a lot of back and forth feedback going through all of these different organ systems. What was the time frame when this started to click for you that these were all connected. Yeah, it was before I quit my job, actually. I started to see it toward the tail end of my time in traditional primary care. And it all started for me, actually. I saw there was just there, it was summer 2021, and I had seen a lineup of ADHDers who had signs and symptoms of sleep apnea, which of course is known to be more common in ADHD and autistic people. And I looked in their mouth and I saw that they all had, to me, obvious tongue ties. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And I know that tongue ties are also associated with sleep apnea. I also know the tongue ties are connected to autism. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Anyway, and these young, healthy people who grind their teeth and are exhausted and everything hurts, I sent them off for sleep studies and they all had sleep apnea. I thought I was just doing like my due diligence of being thorough. I didn't actually think they all had sleep apnea, but they all had sleep apnea. So then I made my doctor send me. I think this actually was... Maybe, yeah, I think I just got my autism diagnosis and I made my doctor send me. And at first they were like, what are you talking about? You don't have sleep apnea. What are you doing? Oh, can you just send me? Yeah, I have sleep apnea. Good information. Anyway, so in my mind, the connection was around the shape of the face. I said, is it possible? Like autistic ADHD people all have long faces with high arch palates, narrow airways. 
That's new information. There was actually a case report in the late 90s published about the dental jaw tongue palate features of autistic people. Anyway, like, I'm not the first person to spot this. I did not yeah. make it up. So that was how it all started. I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then, of course, there's literature on each piece of this. So migraine and autism, fibromyalgia and autism, dysautonomia and autism and ADHD. And by the way, I think about autism and ADHD as being, obviously, they're not the same thing, of course, but I think about them as overlapping Venn diagram circles with a pretty large middle sphere there. Anyway, so there's literature on each piece of all the things connected to autism and ADHD. And the zooming out came when I started this practice and more and more neurodivergent adults whose needs were not met by the traditional healthcare system. They all had this much bigger picture and in fact, my practice filled up six weeks in. So I had to hire a second medical provider. And I said, I'm worried that I'm biased. I'm worried that I'm seeing things that are not there. I'm just going to not see any new patients for seven months. And she said, but no, all the people have all the things. And so we screen all our new patients. A lot of people come here because they know they're neurodivergent and they're looking for neurodiversity affirming healthcare. But that's not actually even most people. People come because their physical health needs are not met by the traditional healthcare system. And amongst those people, they are far more likely to have all the things. And if you have all the things, you're far more likely to be neurodivergent. So it's like the, the pathways to adults discovering their true selves and how their brain works. I think that their autistic burnout, as I said, is a common pathway. The other thing in common with my journey, my child, is found to be neurodivergent. So I learn about brains and I learn that I have a lot in common. And so I start wondering about my own brain. So that's a pathway. And then this third pathway of, I have all things. That's where we will end this week's episode. We will continue the conversation with Dr. Mel Hauser over the next several weeks. Some key points that we discussed include autistic burnout. That's when many who have autism are no longer able to compensate and then they start having a lot of these fibromyalgia and related symptoms. We talked about how the DSM criteria for autism are based on these stress behaviors and that often there's a lot of masking that hides the symptoms until much later. 70% of her practice actually has these multi-organ neuroimmune conditions that she refers to as all of the things which are synonymous with fibromyalgia and related issues. And 95% of her patients who are neurodivergent have one of all of the things. If you've enjoyed this episode and the whole podcast, please leave a five-star rating and review. Hit the like and follow button and share with others. That way more can learn about living better with fibromyalgia. Until next week, go Team Fibro!